Turn in your Bibles to the New Testament book of 2 Peter. 2 Peter chapter 1, which is our third week uh, in our series preaching through this New Testament epistle. If you knew that your time left in this world was very short, what would you want to do? Who would you want to talk to? What would you want to say? I was thinking about that this week and preparing the sermon. You would want to you know, get a hold of your children and, and share with them, not just your heart for them. You would want to give them what you felt was the most central, important wisdom that exists in the world for them. The wisdom of Christ, the value of living for him with her whole heart. And I think of my grandkids who are so young, you'd want them to trust Christ, not to be caught up by the world. What we would have to say, what we would be worried about, what we wouldn't be worried about would, would change. And we would have great focus on what we would want to communicate. And that is what the Apostle Peter, we will see, is doing with these churches that he loved. So we'll begin reading 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 10. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Therefore, I intend always to remind you of these qualities, though you know them and are established in the truth that you have. I think it right, as long as I am in this body, to stir you up by way of reminder, since I know that the putting off of my body will be soon, as our Lord Jesus made clear to me. And I will make every effort so that after my departure, you may be able to recall, able at any time to recall these things. Our Heavenly Father, your word given and a place and time to, to churches. Your word to them continues to be true for us. For you speak to, to us, your people, with perfect wisdom. And the truth doesn't change. And wisdom continues to be that we might know you and follow you. So we ask for the grace that we need in the place and time where we are 
to serve you well. So help us, Spirit of God, to do this. In Jesus' name, amen. In the previous verses of this letter up to this point, uh, the Apostle Peter has been encouraging the church in the truths of their faith. And then last week we saw he's then from their faith encouraged them to to live out the qualities of godliness. Uh, We saw in verses 5 to 7, make every effort, he tells them, to supplement your faith with virtue, knowledge, self-control, steadfastness, godliness, brotherly love, and and affection. Uh, These are not the, the sum of all qualities he wants them to pursue. This was just a a picture of what it means to live in a godly way. And he is encouraging them to practice godliness. And we see now in verse 14, uh, part of his concern behind his encouraging them to stand strong in faith and live out that faith in a godly way. We see because in some way he has heard from the Lord that his time in the world was short. He's thinking of his departure and he's thinking of what it is he wants to share with these believers who are in his heart. But that's not the only reason for his urgency. We also see if we jump up to chapter 2 in the center of this book, uh, another reason for his concern. Chapter 2, verse 1, he says, False prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction. Many will follow their sensuality, and because of them the way of truth will be blasphemed. In their greed they will exploit you with false words. And he goes on through that chapter in very strong language, Warning the church of false prophets, he says, who will be coming? And so as we're thinking through what Peter has to say to the churches, we recognize the context is he knows he will be leaving them and he wants them to know his heart and he knows some who will be coming in will be those who will distort the word of God. And with these concerns, he calls upon the people of God to follow him well. And though we We don't know how Peter knew that he would be leaving. We we do know what was important to him at that moment. And there are really two main things I want to be saying this morning. And the first, that 
he makes very clear to us is we need all of us to be reminded about what it means to live faithfully for God. He makes this point over a few times uh, in verse 12. I intend always to remind you of these qualities. These qualities are the ones that we just saw, verses 5 to 7. The various qualities of living a godly life. I intend to remind you of these things. Verse 13. As long as I am in this world, I'm going to stir you up as a way of reminder. And then verse 15. I'm going to make every effort now so that when I do depart, you may be able at any time to recall the things that I shared. We all need to be reminded continually. Now, it was not because these were half-hearted believers. We see that in verse 12, Peter says they knew the truths. He says, I'm reminding you of these qualities, though you know them and are established in the truth that you had. That means when when they would have heard this letter read and all of those qualities, this is the way you should live, they would have all been saying yes. They would have been saying amen, nodding their heads. That's right. They not only knew the truth, he says they were established in the truth, which means there was not a disconnect in how they lived and the truth that they knew. This was not a church. These were not believers who were drifting from the way of God. They were not living in general disobedience. He says, you know the truth. You are established. And yet, for you who know the truth, for you whose lives are connected to the truth, I still, I still need to give you reminders. You still need to be thinking freshly over and over again upon what is most important in life. They still needed, verse 13, to be stirred up, aroused to action. Now, why are reminders so important for us? Sometimes we do drift. Uh, think of when you're playing w- with your kids in the surf and you're not aware of it until suddenly you look and you see you're, you're going beyond the lifeguard flags. The current just, as you're playing, you think you're still in the same spot and you, you've Moved your way down. You, you constantly have to keep centering yourself on the lifeguard stand. You have to do that over and over again because you find yourself going beyond the flags. Either you notice it or you hear the whistle. Get back. We don't live in a neutral environment, do we? Whether it's our own souls trying to pull us to be more selfish, more me, or the world that's trying to push us or pull us in all sorts of directions, none of which are meant to honor the Lord God first. We may not feel that our heart is getting colder, 
we would say, of course I love God. I, I go to church, maybe even reading your Bible somewhat regularly, and, and yet we can find our life getting off center. It's not, it doesn't take effort to drift. It takes effort to check ourselves from drifting. One test of our soul is how willing are we to pray honestly? Lord, what is it that you want? Whatever you want from me, whatever you want for me, is there anything you want me to do? Is there anything you want me to stop? Is there anything that needs to be uprooted? Are we gladly willing to pray that way? Or as we start, are there things, ooh, if, if I pray that, that means something has to change that I don't want to change. Are we truly centered? We need reminders because we drift, and we need reminders because the truth we know fades. Not that we no longer know it, but it, the truths can lose their vibrancy, their beauty, and so they can lose their urgency. Just this morning, uh, as I was praying, starting with just exalting how glorious God is, and then I began thanking him for this amazing truth that I would be called his son. And then as I was praying, and so a co-heir with Christ, it just struck me again. It's beyond comprehension. I, I know something of my life and heart that God, God considers me a son. God by adoption into the household of God through Christ that he would call me, the, the word of God would call me a co-heir with Christ himself. How could that be? And I was freshly overwhelmed with a thought and a word that we can use so easily without impact. And yet, the truths in here are astonishing. They have a majesty that, that can't fit in our minds and what God has for us. When the Lord God says he is preparing for us, that is not preparations on a human level. God preparing as only the limitless God can prepare. A heart for us that only God beyond measurement can have for us. And these, these truths sometimes fade in their vibrancy. And we can speak of them then with, without much urgency. 
we would all say here, I'm sure, God is most important. But are our lives being shaped by that? Do our decisions and attitudes, are they shaped by God is most important? Have you noticed that when we're singing together in the service, that your hearts, our hearts tend to be more inflamed and in our minds we're thinking, Lord, I really will serve you in every way. And we think of ways that we've been half-hearted or disobedient as we're singing. We're saying, Lord, no, it's so obvious that you should have my whole heart. Lord, I'll never have an attitude like that again. Why does that happen as we're singing together? Why are we so inflamed in our desire to live godly lives? Uh, Because those words are just reminding us and making the truth vibrant. And that brings urgency to us. That very fact, how we're affected as we sing to our own souls and to each other, how important it is that we're reminded over and over again. Reminders are important because we drift, because truths fade, and because God's voice gets crowded out, pushed into the corner. And very often it's being crowded out by our own voice. Me can be pretty loud. What I deserve, what they've done to me, how I should feel this way, what they deserved. based upon what we want and what's been done to us and the way we want to have, that voice can be very loud. And to our own souls, our own voice can be very convincing. And that's where the urgency often is. We're often more compelled in terms of how we live by the things we think we can do and control. That seems compelling. Well, I'm going to tell them this. And in our mind, we're thinking, what we're going to say is so strong, so obvious, so clear. If we can just tell people our opinion, they're just going to sit down and go, wow, you're so right. I'm so sorry. What can I do to change? Would you give me a list? I want to know all that you have to say. Is there anything more you want to say? How many times have you ever had that response? Yet in our own minds, this is so good. I just have to tell them. Or I have to fix it. It, In our minds, if we have control somehow, it's going to work. What doesn't seem as compelling? Praying. Oh, well, obviously you have to say that. All Christians pray, and that always has to be our first answer. That's kind of the answer you do first without paying attention. You always start, oh, pray about it. Now let's talk about what's important. We, we put prayer up there, but what are we really going to do? To entrust people to God to stop trying to fix them, to actually entrust them to God. Let's see what God can do because our fixing 
Doesn't seem to be working, does it? We're, we're a little bit behind in fixing ourselves, let alone others. The response, this is what they've done to respond, not with berating them or why they're wrong, but to respond just with the character of love and brotherly affection and patience and goodness, to respond with what Christ would have to say rather than what we would have to say. What's more compelling to us? What voice gets crowded out? The result of all these things that can take place are spiritual amnesia and practical atheism. Spiritual amnesia is we're not thinking of who we are in Christ. We're not thinking of the significance of what it means to be saved in Christ, to be a child of God, to have the eternal promises to have the Spirit of God living literally in us. We're, we're forgetful of these wondrous truths. We have spiritual amnesia and practical atheism. We believe in God, but we're not necessarily living that way. These are real problems, struggles. These are real effects of not being mindful of the truths that we know, what's real of us. But God, who knows us, and he knows our struggle and our tendencies, has graciously supplied all that we need abundantly. He's He's given us ways that just in daily personal life that the word of God is that. God speaking. What? I, God, just say something. There's, there's quite a bit in here. God has spoken. And, and he's spoken in a way that later on, we're, did I really, was that him? Or it's, we're not just depending on what other people say. We have the word of God. He has spoken. And the spirit is continually taking it and using it. We can talk to the person of God. Just sit down and talk to God who is always there the whole time listening the whole time, whose heart is with us the whole time. We don't have to find him. We don't have to get his attention. We don't have to convince him to care. He is always there joyfully listening because he loves us so much. We can worship him, exalt him, praise him, which our soul needs day by day. Remind ourselves again who is important, what is important. And yet, what are the things that tend to get pushed off first when we're busy or struggling? Don't have time to talk with God. Don't have time to read and hear his word. What, what we tend to push off First, 
is what we actually need most. Why would that be so? Because the enemy, that's what he's working on more than anything. The enemy wants you to push away what is of most importance. He's going to start and make seem ordinary and not urgent what actually is most important. And in the gathering, as we come as the church together, as we sing, as we've already experienced how that affects us, as, as we hear God's word preached, as we celebrate the feast of the Lord's Supper, as we see a baptism and hear how God has changed a heart, as we just share with one another in small group or before and after services, those are all supernatural means God has given for us to remember and to be centered and to be encouraged in what is important. Because the surrounding culture will not, as Peter says, stir us up to follow. Uh, now they'll stir you up. Just turn up whatever your favorite news source is. They obviously have one prominent goal. To stir you up. So you've got to keep coming back to be stirred up more. How about the magic of off and just sit and allow God to stir your heart? We need that reminder from one another. Because God has supernaturally created and equipped the church to be the reminder, the help to one another. How often I see that and experience that. How often I'm reminded by you. When I hear you, when I see you. When I see Liza Ireland going after someone that seems to be new and making sure they feel welcome. She's constantly thinking of that. When I hear Ed Burlack speaking of his heart to listen to the voice of God, and I'm reminded perhaps I'm not doing that as much as I should. When I hear Sandy Valenti speaking of who she's been witnessing to because she's always witnessing to somebody. When someone comes up to Sandy and says, have I ever met you? This is the truth. Sandy says, did I tell you about Jesus? Because if the person you think you met didn't tell you about Jesus, it wasn't me. We need those gracious reminders. To hear it, to see it in action. We need that from one another and we need to be that for each other. And if you're, oh, no, I'm not strong enough for that. Uh, that's all right. The person who dwells in you, the Spirit of God, is plenty strong for that. It's not long-time, mature, strong believers who are the example to all. They are. It's everyone in whom the Spirit of God dwells. 
we need reminders. And the second thing, we need responses, don't we? Verses 10 and 11. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, verse 12, remind you of them. Verse 10, practice them. If you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. If we're not practicing godly qualities, what's left to practice? If we're not considering, what is an attitude when I'm at home with my family? What, what's an attitude toward this person at work that I struggle with? If, if we're not practicing godly attitudes, well, what attitudes are left? If we're not speaking godly words, what words are left? If our heart is not trying to feed on godliness, what's left to feed on? Something else. Not just something less, but something that's destructive to our soul and doesn't really serve anyone around us well. Verse 12 lets us know we need more than an agreement to know, to be established. We, we need a plan of action. And that's part of what Dan did with his sermon last week as he was working through those qualities, those examples that Peter gave. He, he took one and just walked us through. Kind of what would it mean with this one characteristic? What would it mean to to act on that, to grow in it. And that's what we need to think about where you struggle. Is there a situation where you know you tend to struggle? Is there a quality? Is there a person? Where are you aware of struggle? And so, Lord, help me in this place, time, and person. Help me to practice, to to respond in godliness then and there. Think of that and then ask God. Ask God, talk to him about having a conviction strong enough to really work at it. To have wisdom. Okay, Lord, what do you want me to do? For fruitfulness, Lord... I need you in this. Would you, would you make this fruitful in me? Would you bring change? One practical thing that can help is having prayer cards on those specific things. An actual card talking about it. What about this that you keep going back to? So your prayers are not just, Lord, help this person or help me. Then it's, it gets a little bit more specific. And as you are praying more specifically, and then you begin seeing God doing specific things, and your faith starts growing. 
what is, what is a step for you in an area that deserves you to take a step? It can be as simple as whether it's the lunchroom or the break room where the people at your table are putting other students down or the break room where everyone's just complaining and whining and, and maybe it's just pulling out and not participating in it. And then praying, Lord, give me grace to move the conversation in a different direction. How do we, where we find ourselves in the midst of what's not God-pleasing, remove ourselves or bring grace into it? And talk to people, other believers, about the areas where you're working on. Put ourselves out there a little bit so that we've said we're working on it. It helps us not to let go and ask them to pray for you. Peter gives reasons why, as he says in verse 5 and 15, make every effort. Verse 5, make every effort to supplement your faith with these qualities. Verse 15, I will make every effort so that after I leave you'll remember. He, he wants us to give ourselves seriously. And there are reasons why. And as we close this up this morning, think of what he says here, which maybe not be what we would tend to think he would say first, but he says, therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these things, you will never fall. So he says, making every effort in, in godliness and responding to what we're being reminded of with response, it helps confirm our salvation. Peter uses particular terms to refer to our salvation. He says, so you're calling an election to confirm those. He means your salvation, and he uses the phrases calling an election because those words point to a reality of our salvation, that it's all of God, that God saved us, God came to us. God initiated it. God carried out the work. And not only does God initiate and carry out the work, our salvation then is under his rule, not our own. The world considers Christianity as just something we do. There's a habit, there's a framework, there's a book we follow. We choose and we do these things. They don't understand what the gospel is. And We've all met people with empty confessions, meaning they will say, oh, yes, I'm a Christian, and we know they don't live like it at all. And if you bring up what the Bible says, they say, well, what right do you have to tell me? Because they think Christianity is what they want to do, and they can use whatever titles, labels, lifestyle they choose because they don't realize the calling, the saving you like, it's the work of God. It's not something we do. It's something that we submit to God and what he does and how we follow him. The world needs confirming evidence of what salvation truly looks like. What it truly looks like is someone who obeys what he says. 
and takes it seriously. The world needs to know that. He says, secondly, so we don't fall, meaning we don't forsake the Lord. Now, we all stumble, but if we're truly in Christ, we won't sink. Uh, Years ago, uh, my father gave an example that I still remember as I remember thousands of things that he has said in sermons over the years. But he mentioned the illustration of like a cork. You can pull it underwater, but you let go, what's going to happen? It will always go to the surface. We may think we're sinking, but you have the Spirit of God in you. It's impossible. You cannot sink. You can struggle. You can flounder. You may gulp some water, but you will not drown. Peter, he knew this from his own life. Right before Jesus' crucifixion, the Lord said to him, Peter, behold, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Now, his faith stumbled as he denied the Lord three times. But he couldn't cease to believe in Jesus. He just couldn't. He couldn't cease to be a believer. He couldn't cease to be the beloved of God, a child of God. He couldn't cease to have the spirit of God. And so though he stumbled, he did then strengthen. And and here we're reading his words today. Satan uses times when we do fail to put the thoughts in our mind. Maybe you're not as saved as you think. Maybe you're not as beloved of God as you think. He wants to eat away at your confidence. But when we stumble, and then we look at the truth and say, Lord, I do belong to you. And so, I don't deserve this, but I'm coming to you. And I want to... Lord, you see my failure, but you also see deeper that I love you. I want to please you even more deeply than this failure. And the Lord sees that. And we need the reminders. We belong. Something I've been using a lot more recently, I've mentioned it in some of my small groups, is... Part of what Satan will use to eat away in my thoughts is, you know, you're a pastor. You have every advantage. You've been raised in a godly home. You've been hearing the word of God. You're surrounded by believers. You've always had that. You have no excuse to fail. And I'll just work at that. How can you be in that place and you have failed? And often great discouragement can come. I find it hard to pray. And what helps me is I keep thinking of what we read in Hebrews 4, come boldly to the throne of grace. Define grace and help in time of need. And the Spirit of God says, you belong before God. Not that you deserve 
I belong talking to God. I belong worshiping God. I belong serving God only because of the grace of Jesus Christ and his goodness. But I belong there where he is. And we need to tell our own soul, no, I belong where God is, close to him. And every voice that says to me, pull back, or step away, or you don't deserve it, is a lying voice. The voice we will hear forever is the voice of Jesus saying, that one is mine. That's the voice we want to hear and listen to. We need to tell our own souls we belong right where he is. Lastly, because every effort is going somewhere. Verse 11, in this way, uh, you'll be provided for an entrance into the eternal kingdom. Our efforts are going somewhere. It's doing something. We have a clear destination. We need to remember where home is, what the goals are. And all of it is centered around the person of Christ. Make, making every effort here is not an intrusion on our lives. Making every effort is what our life now is. It's the beauty of our life now. It's not getting in the way of living. It's life. And so living for Christ's kingdom needs to make, we need to make it our treasure. We need to, the sacrifice helps it be our treasure. When we live sacrificially in how we treat people and how we give, sacrifice is helping establish Christ is my treasure. It helps knit our hearts to him. Because living for Christ is better than any other option that comes to you. It's not even close. And so spiritual amnesia, forgetting who we are in Christ, practical atheism, ignoring God in daily life, these are real dangers. So let us make every effort to live for Christ in a way that not only honors him, but also as a reminder to one another that we might together be held up for Christ. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we ask that you would work in each of our hearts, for you know us. Speak to us the words that we each need to hear, to remember, to follow. All that you say is precious, so may it be precious to us today. And give us grace. Lord, in our weakness, may we experience your strength today. In Jesus' name, amen.